Hello, Internet friends, and welcome back to Love Hate Relationship, an opinionated podcast for opinionated people. I'm Andy Bowell. And I'm Alex Ruiz, and ordinarily we'd be here to brighten your day, anger your soul, and tell you how to live your lives in that order, but um, it's it's an episode that ends in a five, so that means we gotta shake things up, and we're gonna try and just brighten your day. Um, that's gonna be the only thing we try to do this episode, and we even brought in some help in order to do it this time, Andy. That's right. Uh, we have the first guest on Love-Hate Relationship who is not currently sleeping with either of us. So, congratulations, you Matt! You don't know that. We haven't talked about that. <laughs> uh, listen, I'm just saying, have you seen Alex's hair? Like, that's Listen, we all know that I'm a beautiful man, but it doesn't change the fact that, Matt, you still haven't jumped on this, so whose fault I, is that? You're states away, my friend. Oh, it's a deep, deep struggle. Uh, we've got Matt Collar on, and welcome to the show, Matt. Hello. Thanks for having me, guys. Of course. Yay, Matt. Um, how, you know, we probably should have asked you this before we started recording, but, like, Matt, how should we, like, designate you? Because you do a lot of things. Like, you're, uh, you're a gamer. I? You're a sure. tabletop gamer. Yeah. You're a verified Twitch streamer. You literally, you literally ran out of things after two things. <laughs> you're, well, I'm trying to figure out the nicest way to put that you're arguably the biggest nerd that I know. Um, granted, it's only arguable, but... Yeah. Eh. It would be a discussion, but I'm in the discussion. Yeah, no. Like, if, if, if this is... To call back to our last episode, <laughs> like, if we're talking about, like, top three nerds, like, you're definitely the footloose of my group, so... Hell yeah. I'll yeah, yeah no. The goat nerd. <laughs> that's that sounds like a whole other thing uh well i mean i'm sure there are nerds for goats yeah. how rambly is this episode gonna get you guys this is Pretty literally bad, my I fear think. like yeah. at uh, first i had anxiety about the fact that we're doing three separate recordings instead of two now i just have anxiety about how we're gonna get all this done in pr- roughly an hour and a half <laughs> well luckily we recently switched our podcasting platform uh so we no longer have a cap on how much our time is oh hell so, yeah let's test yeah, that i mean <laughs> you think much, there's not a cap how much data can anchor take in one file <laughs> oh and uh so yeah you're in love-hate relationship as you can tell this one's gonna be a wild ride and today like alex mentioned we are doing a triple love special Uh, It's been a minute since we've done one of those. It's been a longer minute since we had a guest on the show, but we are talking about what I can only assume based on the very nature of our meeting today is one of all of our absolute favorite comic book properties, the X-Men. And now it's stuck in your head for the rest of your life. Yes. For the rest of your life. Fun fact, that theme song was written on one keyboard. Every God, I aspect believe it. of it. Yeah. I believe it. Yeah. I can, I can just imagine somebody in the 90s with just like a little Casio keyboard, just like, no, hang on, pitch it. No, hang on, hang on. Yeah, there it is. Done. Got it. I already hate myself because I know that I'm going to put in the YouTube video that was an interview with the guy who wrote that theme song that I have seen several times. But now I have to track it down on YouTube because that's just who I am as a person. There's a wonderful interview with the guy who wrote that uh, particular theme song, y'all. He's not even an X-Men fan. He's just a dude who writes cartoon jingles and he's awesome. Yeah, no, that, no. It, it would be strange if he was an X-Men fan. 
Because that's yeah, no. why would they get him? They would get somebody who's good at it. In fairness, have I love the X Men. Can you write a jingle? No. Have y'all ever uh, seen the pilot for Kitty Pride and the X Men? That yes, cartoon? absolutely. Yes. Yeah, and the tremendously terrible uh, theme song that that had. You know, I. It's got to be harder than it looks. I'm gonna have to find the I'll drop say. for it now, but I straight up don't remember that. Oh, it's so bad. You, <laughs> listeners, here's the drop in three, two, one. I love giving Andy homework. He'll just yes. get it out. <laughs> Except he won't. That's the best part. He won't. Yeah, I won't. <laughs> He'll get to that part, sigh. I guess I'll get it. Literally so, has um, happened before. Uh, go, yeah, no. So go ahead, Alex. <laughs> so to put us on track, we are obviously talking about uh, something. I, I would hope most of our listeners who click on an episode titled Triple Love Special X-Men are at least somewhat familiar with the X-Men. But If not, pause the episode, go Google X-Men, and then come back. Like, just, just read what's on the Google page. You'll be fine. Just read the entire Wikipedia summary for X-Men with all the ancillary links and Hang you on. will know about as much as like... Oh, that's a big one. Ooh. Yeah, yeah, no, that's... I, I would not recommend it. Don't do that. Yeah, no. Okay, so X-Men. I'm trying to think the short way to introduce it. You want, you want Com- me to take a crack at this? Sure, Matthew. Please, yeah. Uh, so, so the so the X Men are a team of mutants, not necessarily super powered. Most of them have what we would equate as superpowers, led by the uh, ignoble Charles Xavier. That's a good and, word. And uh, in an in, a, in an attempt to lessen humanity's what word do you want to hear hatred of uh, of mutant kind. Some might say ultimately doomed quest, but you know that's can't say that you wouldn't read the comic then. Although, I mean, so this thing debuts in, what, the mid-60s? So, yeah, it's uh, September 1963. Yep. Yeah. And, and so it's it's been running, with the exception of a couple of years there in the 60s where they were running reprints on it, um, on just old stories uh, before rebooting it with giant-sized X-Men in, I think, 1970. This thing ran pretty much, has run pretty much continuously in one form or another when I say one form or another, there's been one X-Men book. There's been mm. 20 X-Men books running. Let's not talk about how many X-Men through. books there are. Yeah, no. And especially, this is this is one of those things where if you're uh, kind of an introductory comics fan or if you're someone who, like, got in off of the cartoons or the movies and you're interested in checking out, you know, the comic book, number one, don't be a completionist. Especially <laughs> of those 60s stories. Those 60s stories are terrible. Um, on record, Silver Age X-Men was god-awful. Um, yeah, you're not wrong. Yeah, but even apart from that, I just it's been through so many iterations. Matt, you just gave a lovely introduction, but like off the bat, I have to sit here and go, when was the last time Charles Xavier was the like canon leader of the X-Men? Yeah, and well, and it's also like, because of the very nature of the X-Men, it's like, well, what... When when was Charles Xavier in charge? And you get you can you get brackets of years. It's like well it was this year to this year, and then he died, and then it was and then he came back, and it was this year to this year, and then he died again, and then it was this year to this year. And he was never dead in the first place. The first right, time, the second time he really died. Wasn't dead. <laughs> Don't forget when he was in space, like fucking a bird alien for a while. Like yes, 
Guys, oh, comics yeah. are stupid. Comics Boy. are so stupid. The sub, the sub, the subtitle of this episode should just be "Comics are stupid" because <laughs> it is it is personified in no line of comics more than the history of the X Men. The X Men, like if taken as a whole, X Men have done every single stereotypical trope that you can possibly. There is a scene. Uh, so in the I want to say in the early 2000s, Joss Whedon had a run on I think it was a ama- uh, astonishing X Men. Astonishing X-Men. Astonishing That's X-Men, another yes. thing. Adjectives. Oh, and yeah. there's a scene literally where Colossus is walking into the X-Mansion and runs into Nightcrawler. And uh, Coloss- uh, uh, Nightcrawler says, I thought you were dead. And Colossus says, I thought you were dead. And they just kind of stare at each other for a second and walk their separate ways. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, that's X-Men right there. That's yeah. literally. Yeah, I mean, there is a, a whole other podcast, which we have recommended on this show before. Jay and Miles explain the X-Men that is devoted to chronologically breaking down the X-Men comic book property because it is just the the most convoluted mess more than Batman, more than the Avengers. Like it is the, you know, the greatest superhero soap opera of all time. And to give you an idea, Jay and Miles explained the X-Men at time of this recording. I think they passed their 300 episode mark recently. Uh, uh, they are according to their website. Cause I pulled it up cause I knew we were going to talk about it. They uh, their most recent episode, which was last week, was two hundred seventy one numbered. They, I, I, as far as I know, there's features, extras, side things. Two hundred and seventy some odd episodes. They've covered about the first twenty five, maybe thirty years of the comics. Yeah, it looks like they're they're doing uh, Phalanx Covenant, so they're about yeah. Early 90s. So they're about yeah. To, yes, yeah. They're about mid to late nineties right now. They still have more than twenty years to cover. And they're they're, they're well over they're just, 250 episodes. They're just getting into the thick of it too. Yeah, because X Men doesn't explode in. Uh, I mean, they're they're probably getting to the to the the bit of the start of it, but the the late 90s there was when everybody everybody and their father got a book. Oh yeah, and they've passed um, talking about uh, X Men Volume Two, Issue Number One, which famously is the best selling comic book of all time. And it's not even very good. Like, it's not a very good comic, but it sold a million copies. Uh, in a lot of ways, X-Men was kind of responsible for the giant 90s comic book boom. And everything that was wrong with 90s comics, X- X-Men is comics. Yeah. You're talking about yeah. comics, you can you can apply it to X-Men in, in, yeah. in some way, shape, or form. No, yeah. absolutely. And I mean, I think, like, part of the reason we sit here and just kind of... I would say fairly assume that anyone listening knows what we're talking about, whether they're a huge X-Men fan or not, is the fact that like, like seriously in all of our childhoods, like, like X-Men was Marvel. It wasn't Avengers. It wasn't Iron Man. Like until the MCU really solidified and came about like X-Men was, if not the premier comic book property in the world it was like second after batman this was this was the biggest thing which is how it spawned into you know numerous tv shows movie franchises video games paraphernalia it's it's a it's a culture (laughs) and like i know we're gonna talk about we're we're obviously gonna talk about the x-men cartoons specifically the 90s cartoons but talking about x-men as representative of marvel as a whole like okay, I re- did y'all ever watch the '90s Fantastic Four, Iron Man, Incredible Hulk, or Avengers cartoons? I think I probably saw the Hulk one, or maybe the Iron Man one. I feel like I definitely didn't get away without seeing one of them, but I don't have very very strong memories. 
Okay, they're all bad. Yes. Like, all of them, you guys. Like, the only really good 90s Marvel cartoons were Spider-Man the Animated Series, X-Men the Animated Series. Uh, I would throw in um, that I really, really liked the Silver Surfer cartoon, which kind of has a weird cult following. <laughs> See, I didn't even but know that existed. Oh, yeah, I knew not, about that. Yeah, yeah. It's not good but i liked it <laughs> i liked it a lot but but that just shows you like four years there, there's a book by um a history a pop culture historian named sean howe i think it's called marvel the untold story and it's literally just a history of marvel from like the early pre-world war ii days all the way until about 2009 and a lot of it basically just amounts to we needed to figure out how we could sell more Spider-Man and X-Men comics because mm-hmm. those were the two comics that sold at Marvel. Yeah, and I can't I, argue with that. No, and it and it's and it it's telling because those were the two properties that Marvel sold off when they were at their lowest peak. Yeah. And that's what ultimately buoyed the company. True, true. They they knew that those were the properties that were going to save them. So um, what we'd like to do for this episode, uh, obviously we're going to talk about all of the different aspects of X-Men, but I think we're going to lean in as much as we can into the comics. I want to go around the table and, you know, have us all talk about a couple of various different things. The first of which being like how we all were introduced to the X-Men, which is probably that 90s cartoon show. Yeah, for me, for sure. Yeah, I, I had I had comics very sparingly growing up as a kid. There was a there was a comic book shop that you know I would go to sometimes as a you know as a as a young teenager, but it, it was it was definitely the the cartoon show. Yeah. yeah. So like, it, like if I can start, and I've already told a variation on this story. Like I definitely started uh, with the '90s cartoon. I watched it pretty sporadically. Um, I was familiar enough with the characters to be like, Wolverine seems overrated and I don't get why people love him. Gambit's a badass. Nightcrawler in the like one episode he's in is terrific. Um, and I really fell in love with, oh, and I hated Jean Grey. Like I, I developed a deep seated hatred for <laughs> Jean Grey and Cyclops. Yeah. Like from, they were terrible in that cartoon. Yeah, that like, show, just, they're not, yeah. You're not it's wrong. The, yeah, it's it's awful. Um, and then I was a huge X-Men Evolution fan when that came out. Like, legit. That one I actually sat down and watched all of the episodes. That's where I fell in love with Nightcrawler. That's where I decided Jean Grey was a little better than Shite. That's where I thought that Shadowcat was an awesome character. Um, I will go into this later, but my favorite X-Men is Storm. And oh, yeah. both of those animated depictions were definitive for me on that um and from the animated show um friend of the show david hey david um i got a copy of fatal attractions from him and it was the first comic book that i ever read and i had no idea what was going on all i knew is holy shit magneto just ripped the adamantium skeleton out of wolverine and for people who are listening uh who aren't comic book fans hey mom i love you thanks for supporting the podcast hi mr Um, reese 
Um, yeah, the, uh, the character with the metal bones got the metal ripped out of his bones with magnets, and that was something I read at, like, 12. And then from there, honestly, like, as soon as I was old enough to go to the mall, I just sat in Barnes & Noble and would read trade paperbacks. Like, I remember sitting in an afternoon in a Barnes & Noble and reading all of the 12 in, like... Ooh. A couple of hours, and that was a mistake because twelve <laughs> is not very good, you guys. I don't know how many of these comic runs I'm going to talk about. And just go. That was shit. That was terrible. That was awful. Uh, Andy, we're going to talk about how you got introduced to the comics yep. later. Holy crap! Um, but I here's just a, here's the important thing. There's a lot of X Men comics. Not a lot of them are good. Yeah. No. Nah, no. And but we still fucking love them, and that's. I guess that's at the heart of this whole episode, but um, but yeah, that's honestly been my journey through it. I, I'm sitting five feet away from my comic book collection, and a significant portion of it is, you know, X-Men stories, you know? It's, it's Life Death. It's the gr entire Grant Morrison run. It's astonishing. It's all of the... I, I still need to get my hands on New Mutants. I've got, I think, the first volume in digital. And Matt, your Marvel Unlimited has been terrible for my collecting. Because <laughs> I just read shit on there. But um, you're such a sweetheart. But yeah, I mean... I, and I've just been a fan ever since. It was a slow crawl into it. But really, from teenagerhood onward, I was hooked on these comics. Quality be damned. And I've been a huge proponent of this property. So that was Ooh. my intro. Um, Matt? Um, gosh, I, you know, I, I definitely watched the cartoon growing up and it, it, it was probably something that I came to a lot later in life. Um, it's not something I want to dwell on a lot of the podcast, but I, I grew up very poor as a child and it wasn't until I was about 15, 16, you know, when I was able to have a job and get my own pocket money and really get out there that I was able to discover all of these, all of these things that, that I knew about or had seen or whatever, and really, you know, dive into them. Um, so, you know, I, I came to it very late in life. So while Alex and Andy are going to be able to rattle off like these specific runs, like I just know it as like, oh, yeah, this comic I read that one time, you know, <laughs> or, or this thing I checked out of the library or something like that. You know, they 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 leave a mark, but it's it's a different kind of kind of thing with me. Um, but the, the, I think the reason uh, people, you know, Alex, Alex says, you know, at the, at the start of the show, like I'm the nerdiest guy he knows. I think the, and I've heard other people say that the reason is because things like X-Men, I, I dive in, you know, people, people say, oh yeah, the X-Men, it's like, it's this huge, huge, vast thing. And I just, I just plug my nose and I'm like, let's go. What's, what's here? What's going on? What should I read? Um, you know, you know, everybody says like, don't, don't, don't read X-Men chronologically. Don't do that. I'm here to tell you, don't do that. But also, I did that. Like, I'm, <laughs> I'm currently doing that. Sure, um, sure. Because, because, like, what's the best way to read it? Like, from the start, I guess. You know, then uh, when when that Gambit when that Gambit limited series comes in in '92, I could just, you know I'll just read that and that'll be fine. And then you know when Nightcrawler splits off from the team in '97, I could you know just follow him. Um, you know, and that's fine. Um, but don't do that, please. Don't do that. <laughs> no, the best the best advice, just real quick. I, I can't remember if we've talked about this on the show or it's just like a mantra Alex has dwelled into me is probably the best way to read any comics, really, X-Men or otherwise, is to find a writer you like and follow that writer around. Or an artist. Like, just yeah, or, follow or the, an artist. 
follow the creators you like. Don't worry about the characters. Don't worry about the... Granted, if there's a character you love, I mean, I know somebody who reads every Black Panther comic, regardless of who's writing it. And it's mm-hmm. just like, it doesn't matter if it's ta Coates, if it's Christopher Priest, if it's... Or even back with the, you know, Stan Lee, Jack Kirby days. Jungle action. Ugh, Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, I knew, I knew that was going to be that reaction. I hate you so much. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, like, you, if you if you find a character that you love, like, that's valid as well. Granted, if the character you love is the X-Men or Batman, good it's luck. It's a lot trickier. That's a lot. That, yeah. yeah, that's a whole lot to follow. But, like, so... I always allow exceptions for that if you're really invested in a character, but generally speaking, creators, that's the way I always say. Like, Yeah, because because team. that's what's really going to define what that story is. It's going to define the, the focus of the character or the theme or the specific kind of narrative they're trying to get across. Yeah, I will read anything that Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale collaborate on. I don't care if it's Marvel. I don't care if it's DC or indie or whatever. I think that they are one of the greatest, like writer artist collabs in comics history yeah. and i will read any book that they write period I, yeah, like that's just that. a thing for me so yeah no i'm sorry did we interrupt your story Matt? yeah like, i completely kinda, i no, completely it was, it derailed was, him it was it was at an end uh you know i i i'm that guy i'm the guy that will read any comic will watch any movie will you know like oh man did you did you read that six issue miniseries of the beast where he goes to, you know, wherever. Yeah, it boy, it was bad. But I read it. <laughs> yeah. Wasn't nearly as good as the one where he dated Dazzler for like three issues. Oh, why did you, mm. <laughs> I hate that you reminded me of that. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, so to so to clear Matt's brain, I'll continue on. Uh I mean, yeah, obviously my introduction to the X-Men was also that same Fox Kids TV show, although I definitely rented that other cartoon, the Kitty Pride, you know, um Kitty Pride and the X-Men. Yeah, Pride of the X-Men. I rented that from Blockbuster that more than a couple of times for sure. Why? It's yeah, so why bad. more than once? Because I was seven. <laughs> okay. Yeah, Did you I just want to? Can't trust you. You just wanted to hear Australian Wolverine, didn't you? Absolutely. Wait, she's not drawn in the X Men, is she? She's just a kid. Australian. <laughs> well, well, like so, like that. One of the other things I didn't even think about this until just now. I used to go mini golfing with my dad fairly regularly as a kid, and at the mini golf place, there was also a little part of it that was an arcade, and like the X Men arcade beat 'em up game, game was in yeah, that that's little arcade. True. That's, that's probably the other big cultural touchstone of the 90s is that four-player x-men beat-em-up absolutely and the character designs from that were based off of the pride of the x-men models so like i think there was some reinforcement there in that way (laughs) um but yeah started with the the cartoon i definitely my dad had an old comic book that was it was literally like the silver age x-men versus the silver age avengers and so you know it was it was yellowed and and never kept in anything other than just a cardboard box, but I read that a bunch, you know, I would go get like the silver age omnibus from the library and read all those terrible sixties adventures. Um, but I think the thing that really sparked the appeal for me was the, 
original X-Men movie. The Patrick Stewart, Ian McKellen, Hugh Jackman, 2000s X-Men. I remember that movie came out in the year 2000. And I remember we, we, we got that from Netflix back when Netflix delivered DVDs. Like I remember getting my parents to put that on the list more than once because I loved it so much. (laughs) I I recently rewatched that movie. It is like, it is like looking into the past. Yeah, absolutely. In a way, in a way that is like very difficult for a person my age to do sometimes. Sure, because like they're in the full leather bodysuits and they make the crack where they're like, oh, couldn't you get something that breathes? And and Cyclops turns to Wolverine and says, what would you prefer, yellow spandex? Like, because the Matrix just came out and we mm. need to make sure everyone's in black leather because yeah. comic book costumes are ridiculous You can and terrible. almost hear the rim shots when they quip. You're like, oh, I, it's, it's, it's there, I hear it, but... Though, I, I gotta say, the moment in that movie where Wolverine had just fought Mystique, he walks back into the room with Cyclops and Jean Grey, and Cyclops is like, how do I know it's you? And Wolverine just goes, you're a dick. And Cyclops accepts see, it. That's so great. Yeah, see, I was gonna say, the, the more important part of that scene to me isn't that Wolverine says you're a dick, because that's of that, of course. It's that Scott looks at him and goes, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> That's the that is what makes that scene because yeah sure Wolverine calls him a dick but it's that Scott goes yeah okay it's him yep yep yeah and eight minutes earlier Wolverine walks through the metal detector to get into that place and he has to take it out with his claws he pulls the claws out points them at Cyclops takes the two on the far ends and sticks them back in so that just the middle ones protruding so Wolverine flips him off with his claw like which is such a great '90s thing that I'm like yeah of course. Yeah, no, this was this was the year two thousand. Yeah. This is what we did. Yeah, they're 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 totally dated in their era and like just cringy in their own ways. But you know, nonetheless, that was kind of what really reinvigorated my love of the X-Men. And so to lead us into the next talking point, I loved the movie so much that I started going to my local comic shop. And this was the first time in my life I, you know, I had pocket change of my own and started buying comics. And the two things that I gravitated towards was Jeff Johns's Teen Titans because sure. uh, issue right. one had come out and the cartoon was big. And so, okay, hell yeah. So Jeff Johns's Teen Titans and Chuck Austin's Uncanny X-Men. Uh. <laughs> Started so good. Historically. Uh, what? No, no, your 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 comic decisions like it was so yeah. it started so well. Oh, yeah. and... <laughs> to give to give listeners some context, those who don't read comics, I was talking about recording this podcast today, and I mentioned I was talking to uh, Stephanie about it, and I mentioned to her, oh yeah, no, and then Andy um, Andy's first comic run was uh, Chuck Austin's X Men, and uh, you know she's not she's not nearly the comic book nerd that we are. And she's like, okay. And I say, uh, to give context, that's the run where Angel has sex with a teenager in the sky in front of her mother. And there's a conspiracy to make Nightcrawler the Pope. From the Catholic Church, it it is important to clarify. (laughs) (laughs) That is Chuck Austin. Like I said, X-Men is comics. (laughs) and comics are stupid yeah comics are so stupid the transitive property is very important here (laughs) 
you know, the worst part, I, I reflect back on those days and I can remember them fairly clearly. I had like, um, so, so picture like fifth grader Andy, he's in a comic shop, he's staring up at the walls and he's got, he, he sees two X-Men titles in front of him. One of which is Chuck Austin's Uncanny X-Men, which has Nightcrawler on the cover. And the other one is Grant Morrison's New X-Men. And Andy looks at one and goes, wow, that art's really ugly because I had no appreciation for Frank quietly. And then I grabbed the one with friggin' Nightcrawler on the cover and sealed my fate. That new... Mm, I'm mad at young Andy. (laughs) He didn't know better. Mm. (laughs) I can see how you can make the mistake, though. I, I pulled up the cover and I can definitely see why just on the shelf, you know... Uh, one one would be more interesting to you but gosh i know i know well and see oh, well. <laughs> what can you do you know hindsight's 50 yeah. 50 yeah yeah no i mean in fairness it, we all moved on to better runs <laughs> Yeah. better stories and, yeah that's that's true andy didn't just say and it's the best x-men <laughs> that's ever been even even as a child I, I i knew something was up like the first thing is like so so stacy x the snake skinned prostitute and i'm like oh, it's, okay <laughs> this is kind of a weird new character and then yeah you know you you get into she lies with angels and i'm like what the hell is this romance crap why is angel banging husk in front of her mom not to self-pity too much but like the draco which canonically establishes that nightcrawler's father is the devil only you know it's not the devil turns out the devil turns out the yeah turns out mutants are like a, a mutant from biblical times uh, was trapped in a hell-like dimension that wasn't limbo, and my my brain is like shutting down on me right now before I can get through the rest of this. But so I knew something was up. I I met, I got to greener pastures eventually. But so look, alter- alternatively speaking, in the canon of X Men, the first mutant has either been uh, something genetically modified by the Celestials, which are sure. god beings that created life on Earth, uh, Apocalypse, or Namor. And quite frankly, the most pleasant of those options probably isn't Namor, so... No. Yeah. What are you gonna do? Like, cut yourself slack. <laughs> yeah. You know, you didn't have that much money. Yeah. If you had more money, probably, you probably would have bought both of them, and this would be an entirely different podcast. Amen. I mean... <laughs> But no, so like I'm legitimately curious because I think I think Alex and I have like mentioned it in uh, just in you know conversing. Um, I know you certainly read a lot more early Claremont than I did. Not that you know it was new for you, but you just gravitated towards that. I, I really want to know from the both of you guys what your first real comic book experiences were. Uh, like good ones. <laughs> no, just the first one. The, the first, how like, uh, not good ones. I just talked about Chuck Austin for ten minutes. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, you can. <laughs> let's yeah, just, no, just I... let's just ignore over that. Let's just skip over that completely. <laughs> um, the first, gosh. So I, so I mentioned I came to it really late. I want to say the first, the first like X Men comics I can remember reading, like seeking out and reading specifically 
was Joss Whedon's uh, uh, Astonishing. I always Astonishing X Men. Okay. A much There's better choice. <laughs> yeah, um, it's 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 pretty good. Um, you know, say what you will about Joss Whedon now here in the year of 2019, but back then Joss Whedon was a pretty good get for a comic series. Yeah. Um, he was he was riding high, and this was I want to say this was. 2004 yeah that sounds yeah. right yeah, yeah that's what yeah that's what it looks like here i hey i still have that wikipedia page open Same. don't be like me <laughs> don't don't make bad decisions like i do um oh god yeah so this was so this was like this was one of hey here's a here's a here's a thing marvel likes to do every six seven years reboot the x-men to make it more palatable for new fans and then they don't um <laughs> because it's the x-men and eventually someone's like i wonder what colossus is up to oh right we threw him into a sun we should fix that <laughs> Um, the best so, part about this loving on the X-Men episode is how much shitting on the X-Men we're doing. And yeah, you it. can't... Yeah, there's no... There is no way to actively be a fan of the X-Men and consume the media and enjoy it for whatever amount that you will and not also come out the other end, pun intended, just with certain parts of it that you just... You, you can't see past and you're like, this is absolute comic book horse shit. And yeah. it's fine because, as I said, X Men is the epitome of comic book horseshit. And if you accept it for what it is, you know that's that's fine. It doesn't need to be this this. It, 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 when it tries, it can, but it doesn't need to be high arcing, you know, highbrow art. It can just be a comic book about people shooting lasers out of their hands at each other. But yeah, so so Astonishing X Men is a, a pretty good comic. Um, it runs for trying to find. Um, I think Joss Whedon's run was about 20 something issues before he hands it off. I think he got through volumes one and two. Um, that sounds about right. Yeah. And then he, he hands it off during his run. It, it's actually, it's actually a pretty good jumping on point for that. Uh, cause it, it came out of the, uh, Grant Morrison, X, uh, new X-Men. It, it features, uh, I want to say it features the brood, but it, 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 they go to break world they brought back Colossus. There's Sentinels. It's uh, there's the fantastic scene, which you've you've definitely seen if you've been on Tumblr for any amount of time, of uh, Kitty Pride uh, and Colossus having sex and Kitty Pride falling through the floor. Yeah. Which you know, <laughs> boy, I, I don't know how anybody didn't know that there was something wrong with Joss Whedon at that point. But like, it, it is it is such a good run of of comics. And 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 then it immediately runs into Warren Ellis writing it, which is a whole other thing. Um, I was about to not say, to say that I it's not good, but it's a it's a completely different thing. Yeah, I didn't. I, I'm looking at the wiki now, and I I straight up either didn't know or forgot that Warren Ellis had even touched this, and that's yeah, that's different. Yeah, yeah, it's that's a, that's a big tonal shift. I don't think I read that part of it, but I do think I read later. Danny Way picked it up after uh, Warren Ellis, and I do think I read some of that because that's when um, Armor comes back for a bit, um, mm -hmm. who's a fantastic character. Uh, thing, great thing about the X Men, there's a thousand characters. They only ever feature like six of them, so your favorite character will never be in enough comics. <laughs> um, yeah, see, that's the sigh of somebody who knows. Um, we're we're gonna talk about my love of Yost and Kyle's new X Men. And like that's the fucking epitome right there of like all these amazing characters who had their moment and are never going to be shown again. Yeah, and that's that's always part of the issue with X Men uh, continuity. But after that run, 
I fell off for a time. I was still, I was reading a bunch of other stuff. And then right before uh, X-Men Apocalypse came out, and this was this was only a few years ago, uh, mm-hmm. I sat down and I read the entire Age of Apocalypse run. Oh, um, God. Yeah, which, at, hey, if you want to read X-Men, here's here's my pro tip, and I'm probably going to give you like six of these throughout the <laughs> podcast, so write, write them down. <laughs> there will be a test. Uh, yeah, there will be a test. We're going to go back through, and you have to get all the ones right that I remember I said, so you only got to remember a couple. <laughs> go read the entire Age of Apocalypse run. All of the tie-in comics, everything that's related to it. Read the weird, like flashback miniseries in i want to say it was 96 and then there was like an age of x-men event uh in the early 2000s go read all of it the age of apocalypse is exactly what x-men deserves as far as here is it is x-men age of apocalypse is i i almost want to say it's not comic books anymore it's anime because it's like hey what if instead this crazy thing happened forever ago and all of our characters were super different and some of them were evil and some of them were good and some of them only had one hand and some of them were dead and then this one who was dead was alive (laughs) and he works for the bad guys and it's just the most bananas off the wall conceit and they managed to keep going back to it because again it's comics you can't ever let anything die and it's just 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 revel in its in this monstrosity of comics just enjoy it for what it is and you will because it's it's in in terms of comics it's pretty good in terms of x-men it's peak x-men just just enjoy it yeah i love that no it's better than the it's better than the movie that's for damn sure yeah that's (laughs) that movie so what about you alex like i mentioned i after after getting my hands on a fatal attractions uh as a like preteen early teenager um yeah i started hanging out in barnes and no i didn't really have any comic book shops near me at the time that i was coming up and certainly nothing i I wasn't driving so it wasn't like i could drive to one so i went to the barnes and noble in the waterford lakes town center which was the outdoor mall near where uh, Andy and I grew up. And I would sit in the Barnes and Noble and pull off trade paperbacks. And I vaguely heard that the 92 X-Men were largely based on the runs of the comic book runs of this guy named Chris Claremont. And I went, okay. And I'm skimming the like shelves of the X-Men comics in Barnes and Noble. And there's a lot of stuff written by this guy named Chris Claremont. So with fairly little regard to order or like chronology, other than the fact that, okay, this volume is has a number one on the side and this volume has a number three on the side. Maybe I should like wait to read the number three until they get another copy of the number two. Um, I just started reading Claremont written x-men comics now granted this was also amid me also me reading a bunch of batman comics and a bunch of avengers comics and i was also a spider-man fan and i also was kind of interested in uh green lantern and teen titans and a million other things so i would basically just read these comics uh and and marvel i and Marvel was always really good about the see this past issue, whatever, for whatever references there were. So 
I would try and keep something of a running tally of those and see if I could track them down in all of these trades. But basically, I just read a whole shit ton of what many comics fans consider to be the heyday of X-Men comics, which were those 70s and 80s Chris Claremont-written X-Men. So I read Dark Phoenix Saga. I read Days of Future Past. I read The Brood Saga. I read a lot of just... I read those early New Mutants, and I didn't really, like, think too hard about it later on. Uh, I, like, I didn't finish out reading New Mutants for years and years later. I mostly just read the early Claremont ones. New Mutants is a great, great series, and Chris Claremont started it and then pretty quickly handed it off. Uh, and those were all fantastic comics. So that was a lot of my early introduction to the Claremont era. I'm also not gonna lie, once I got old enough for internet access, I just read Wikipedia summaries of a lot of X-Men stories just to fill in my gaps. I, I was never worried about spoilers, especially not for, at that time, 10 and 20 year old comic book runs. I was just like, cool, whatever. I, I can read the Wikipedia thing and understand what's going on in the comic that is in my hands. Yeah. No Somewhere along the line, that evolved into also reading the Grant Morrison run, um, which, again, I have the entirety of sitting on my shelf. I have very few full comic book runs in physical format. That is one that I have the entire run in physical format. I love the Grant Morrison, Frank Quitely X-Men run. It's possibly my favorite non-Claremont run. But, yeah, that was my early intro, really, was just reading all this stuff that seemed so big on the internet and seemed so influential to the cartoons that had originally gotten me into this thing. And I think that's great. We're kind of like, we're all coming to this from a different place. And yet clearly we all fell in love with the property as, you know, so many other millions of fans across the world. Uh, I just wanted to say really quick, I don't throw any shade at you reading the Wikipedia articles of comics runs. Um, Cause I did the same thing with the saw movies. So. <laughs> I want to play a game. I hate those movies so much. Yeah, I do too. Can we? Can I come back for triple hate on Saw? <laughs> I'd entertain that. After yeah. the first okay. one, they really just fall off a cliff artistically. Here's an important. Oh, wow. here's, an, you... here's an important preface, uh, preface though. I've only seen 45 minutes of the second one. <laughs> so you, so yeah, That's you've fair. seen it all. You, you've seen yeah. What you I feel need. like I saw. I saw what I needed to see. I saw them throw saw, a woman into a pit of hypodermic needles, and I was like, I'm going to leave. I saw the first one, hated it. Saw the second one, hoping it would be better. It wasn't, and I've never watched any more of them. Yeah, that's Other true. than when I worked in a movie theater and had to watch, like, chunks of it because I was an usher, and that meant I ended up watching large swaths of movies out of order. Sure. No, I've, uh, I've seen every one of them, and I don't really have a good reason why. <laughs> I've seen all of them, and... Uh... Looking back on it, could have don't know yeah, why. I could have spent that time reading more X Men. <laughs> I give you I give you shit, but I have seen every Friday the Thirteenth and Jason movie, including the worst ones. So eh, six of one, half dozen of the other. Uh, pulling this back onto track. So you know we've talked about the comics. We talked about like we we talked about how we each got started. And Alex, you had brought up earlier your favorite character, and you know it's X Men is inherently a team book. You know, 
invariably each X-Men has gotten like their own runner. If you're Wolverine, you've gotten 50 of them. But like part of the thing I love the most about the X-Men is the fact that it is an ensemble and you get all these different characters and invariably everyone picks their favorite. So I'd like to, you know, talk about our favorite X-Men. Yeah. Uh, this was one that was very important to me because um, Aurora Monroe, uh, also known as Storm, is not only my favorite X-Man, she's one of my favorite characters in literature. Like, she is one of the defining... Mo- like, Storm was the first character that I ever watched as as a traditionally socialized young boy... Uh, in the 90s and went yeah no my favorite character is the girl like I can't even I can't even front like my favorite character is the girl which in hindsight now I'm 30 years old and it's 2019 that seems like it shouldn't have been a big deal but on the in the playgrounds I was in that was a big fucking deal and and yes I also loved Gambit I also loved Nightcrawler like there were legitimately wonderful characters out there, but I have such a deep and abiding respect for Storm. And granted, the '92 X Men, she was cool. In X Men Evolution, they don't give her enough to do, but what they give her to do is incredible. Storm is a character who has like, if she ever focused her shit enough and wanted to she could wipe out the entire planet but her whole point is control she is always in control of everything about herself she was worshipped as a goddess and is humble enough to go i could probably still be worshipped as a goddess but no i'm better off as a person it's better to be a person who tries and does the right tries to do the right thing the fact that there was you know in in the in the x-men era like that i was reading a whole lot of you know the x-men team split off at one point and storm led one of the teams as a field leader she was incredible as a character who she loses her powers for like a couple of years in the comics and um, I realized I didn't mention this. Storm's powers are weather manipulation. She can hurl hurricanes. She can make lightning. She can make rainstorms and snowstorms. She can create fog. She can just manipulate the weather all around her. It's She's incredible. She is a powerhouse character. And for like a few years, she just has no powers. And she is still incredibly compelling. She's an incredible hand-to-hand combatant. She's a team leader. She is brilliant at everything she does, and she is so compelling. Like, Storm only... And she's so underappreciated, and I love an underdog character. I love a character who's underrated and undervalued when they should be so much more. Mm -hmm. Storm, I think only in the last couple of years, got her first solo series. Yeah, it wasn't that long ago. Yeah, and it was a limited run. And I'm sitting here like, you give it to Wolverine. Fine, I get it. He's popular. You gave it to Magic. Like, don't get me wrong. I love the Magic miniseries, but how did Magic get 
a series where Storm was one of the most important characters, but you don't give Storm a fucking series? Like, Magic is... and also Storm. <laughs> yeah, no, like, just saying. Like, for the first maybe half of the Magic miniseries, Storm is essentially a co-star character in that until shit goes down. But, yeah, I, I just... I have adored this character, and I argue that Storm is a character that deepened my empathy. Because again, she's so compelling as a character that she made an eight-year-old boy on a playground defend her to his shitty friends who were like, your favorite character can't be a girl. And I went, yeah, she fucking can because she (laughs) is that incredible. And I I was not a brave kid, you guys. I was shy as fuck and hated communicating anything storm um, gave I, alex confidence hell yeah storm gave me confidence <laughs> i love superpower. this character so much and and i already like i put her up there with any other character in literature and i have receipts for her storylines life death is one of the most compelling stories period her run her powerless run her storyline with the morlocks where she essentially becomes an absentee leader to a group of marginalized mutants that are ostracized from society and she fails them and she deals with the fallout of that. She's a character forged in fear and courage and grief and control and power and humility and she's so complex and so brilliant and I love her so much. So yeah, if you couldn't tell by the end of this, he really likes her. Storm, mistress of the elements, commands you to release that child. Yeah, no. So he's like, he's like, he's like pretty cool with Storm. Yeah, yeah. What's y'all's favorite X Men? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, My favorite X Men is Alan is Alex talking about how much he loves Storm. (laughs) That's my favorite X Men. It's a great mutant power talking about how much you love Storm. I, mean. uh, I think it's also important to note that like Storm is one of the few characters, at, at least at least in my limited memory, but you know over over the the history of the X Men that they've never really screwed up. You know, like like you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but like she's always she's always been a member of the team. She's all there's been you know side things and all of that stuff. You know who doesn't who doesn't want to marry Dracula? I can't blame her. Um, mm. but. She's always been there. She's always been a pillar of the team. And and I think that I think that speaks a lot to you know, maybe laziness on the part of some writers, but but also just the strength of her character that she's you know, you can look back through most of the history of the X-Men and Storm is there in some respect. No, and you're right. You know, thinking about it there I I can't think of a time where she either wasn't regal badass or regal badass. Like the closest thing to somebody messing up her character was the very unfortunate Halle Berry performance in those X-Men movies. And, and taken, taken as a whole, that's not necessarily bad. It was just not as meaty as it should have been. Yeah. Yeah. Detailed. Yeah. 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 Well, the cardinal sin of writing storm has always been not giving her enough to do, you know, like that's just, the one time I can admit, Andy, where she was not all of those adjectives was the time that she was de-aged to be like 12 years old again. And even then, she went on a heist with Gambit. Yeah. 
That's true. Which yeah, introduced she, yeah, Gambit. Like she, she went back to Cairo Thiefstorm, <laughs> which is its whole other thing of amazing. Right, right, right. Exactly. So, like, at the end of the day, you put Storm in a story. There's, there's something compelling to do there. And the biggest mistake has been people not using her. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah, the, the worst thing you can do to Storm, you, the worst thing you can do with Storm is leave her on the table. I'm looking through the cover arts that people have used for the the various you know titles and stuff and uh, whatever on the Wikipedia, and Storm is in most of them, yeah, and in she's... in all of them she looks amazing. Yeah, she she's been consistently one of the most prominent. The, I think the only time she's really been off of the team has either been when she was on a different team, or like when she was briefly married to T'Challa, and even right. then she would come back for the occasional mission. Yeah, so so yes, yeah, Storm is amazing. We can totally continue to gush on Storm, but I I want to put you on the spot, uh, Matt. I want to know your favorite X Men. You can list a couple if it's easy. Yeah, yeah. I feel like I feel like my favorite it in like most things. I don't. It, it's difficult for me to have a favorite. You know, like sure. Who you know my my favorite for the longest time was was Gambit because how can you not? Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> hey, wait, ways you know you're gay when you're growing up. Um, <laughs> like, just just how can you not love '90s Gambit in the '90s? Like, you know, as a person in the '90s looking at Gambit, like, yes, this is everything that the '90s is. So hell yeah, of course I love Gambit. The only thing he didn't have was, was shoulder pads. And then if he took the jacket off, I believe his armor had shoulder pads. You are correct, sir. Yeah. So his like neon pink armor that he was supposed to be like sneaking around and stealing stuff in. Yes, it's the best. Uh, also, my favorite is Gambit because he was the best character to play in the bad Super Nintendo X-Men game that I had growing up because he had this <laughs> great like uh, dash roll that would get under the attacks of most of the enemies. So he would just do this. I would just like roll through these levels. And I was like, God, Gim, it's the best. <laughs> but you know, uh, it, it, it changes from era to era. Sure. Honestly, now, now for the more modern stuff now, kind of, and, and kind of looking back, I've been exploring Scott, Scott Summer Cyclops a lot more. I, I think, you know, where, where Alex says like, you know, and, and I agree wholeheartedly storm is probably maybe the best X-Men throughout the history of, of the, the run. <laughs> Scott is probably I don't want to say second, third, but the most consistent. Yeah, only because I think uh, a lot like with Storm, the the worst thing a character, uh, worst thing a writer can do is not use her. S- Scott is always there, but he's not really he. They they give him like they they know what Scott's the leader. He's you know he's he's level headed. He's uh, loyal to his friends. Uh, and he, you know, and he, and he makes the right calls, right? And for a lot of the runs in the 90s, a lot of the stuff that I read, like, that's his character. And it's only been the last few years really kicking off with Avengers versus X-Men where they've allowed him to break out. And you, I, I'm seeing that more with some of the Claremont stuff that I've been reading where he's, he's, he's not level-headed. He's incredibly passionate. He's incredibly devoted to his, his family, you know, I think Scott Summers more than almost any X Men, at least from, from you know the the Golden Age to the Silver Age, exemplifies what the core conceit of the X Men as a team are, and it's it's family. And if you want to talk about family, there's literally no one better to talk about than Scott freaking Summers. Sure. Like, 
I don't want to get too detailed about how ridiculous his family is in regards to the X Men, <laughs> but 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 okay, okay. Here, I will I will give you this small tidbit because I'm sure we're gonna come back to this in, 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 later on in the episode. But at this point in the in the series, he is living in a compound with uh, it's it's him, Jean Grey, who's his wife, Cable, who's his son from an alternate future. Havoc, who's his brother from this future. Rachel Summers, who's their daughter from a different timeline than Cable is from. Hope, who's again from a different timeline. And that's not even counting people like Corsair and the whole Madeline Pryor weirdness, which I... I was going to say, because Cable's his son with the clone of his wife. Right. And which, Rachel is a daughter from the timeline with the wife, with his wife. Yeah, it's it's complicated. But I, I, I think I think like looking back, I think, you know, as as a taking taking a, a backwards glance through the history of comics, I think Scott as as of this moment is my favorite character because he is at his core the the most basic of X-Men because he believes in the t- team as a family, which is is beautiful in its conceit this concept of found family you know scott as i said he has an incredibly tragic uh family history incredibly intertwined with the history of the x-men and all all of its themes and at the same time such a terrible broken heartbreaking conceit that the only place this man can find family is in this you know group i mean think about when it started in 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 the 60s the x-men were five teenagers that lived in a house that was run by a man that was training them to be a fighting force against ostensibly terrorists like taken with that lens it is so heartbreaking that the only thing that he could do to keep himself together was to forge these bonds of family so strongly and i think that's that's a really that's a that's a that's a take you can only get looking back at it and it's it's starting to come to the forefront i'm really excited to read some of the more modern stuff but i i yeah scott energy blast huh here's one from a pro that's fantastic man that was very that was very rambly no no i love that (laughs) answer i love that so much i i love the passion behind that because that's how you can tell it's real um my favorite cyclops thing and like for anybody who thinks that cyclops is a stuffy character my favorite cyclops moment is all new x-men when time display cyclops is brought into the future against his will and the very first thing he does is freak out and steal wolverine's motorcycle like that yeah. Cyclops, that's Scott Summers. <laughs> yeah, and I, and I think I think that was really when I I and I, I almost I, I say this a lot, but it's almost like someone sent out a letter that was like, "Hey, Scott can be cool, yeah, y'all." Like Scott Scott can Scott can be a character. Scott can have feelings. Scott can emote. And it was and it was because there was his younger version kicking around that I think everybody thought it was okay i think so yeah it's funny andy what about you let's let's you don't have to be the host i can be the host what's your favorite <laughs> x-men character oh I, such i'm being pampered in a way i here let me fluff your pillow shut the fuck up and tell us <laughs> so for the longest time uh like matt you know i probably would have said gambit there was just he, he was just so damn cool like there's fortunately for me 
There's no photographic evidence of this, but I 100% dressed up as Gambit for Halloween, and my costume was basically like my dad's brown bomber jacket, which looked like a trench coat on me, and a rake handle that I had covered in silver duct tape, so it looked like his bow staff. That's adorable. I love it. I I love all of this. Yeah, yeah, right? Gambit was just so cool. I love the charmer i love the rogue i love the person who maybe flirts with someone he shouldn't and that's 100 percent gambit but as, I, as i've come to think about it more and maybe as i've gotten a little older i really do think that my favorite x-men actually is nightcrawler for very much the same reasons actually you know kurt kurt wagner nightcrawler he is you know, one of the most visually iconic X-Men, I think it's safe to say, you know, the the bouncy blue devil running around teleporting, you know, Snicked is probably the most famous X-Men uh, onomatopoeia. Is that, that what that's called? I think it has a specific word for comics, but yes. Right. It's a... Uh... Oh, God. Yeah, what is the term? You can call it an automatopoeia. That'll be effective for our purposes. But um, so, you know, Snicked is probably the most famous. But, you know, second behind that is the BAMF, the the sound of Nightcrawler teleporting. And just, I mean, like he, Nightcrawler, I think more than almost any other character could accurately be described as the heart of the X-Men. He is the heart and soul. He is and always has been the guy who, you know, is more interested with making sure everyone's okay and happy and like dealing with whatever trauma of the moment is going on. You know, back when I was a more religious person, the fact that Nightcrawler was an extremely religious character mattered to me. But more than that, like, like Nightcrawler is a hell of a lot like Gambit because he's a swashbuckler. He's this. I knew you were going to use that. <laughs> That's word. the yeah. best word. Oh, no, for you can't not use that word. <laughs> well, no, it's because uh, the reason why is because I distinctly remember back to our Mark Wade's Daredevil ah. episode, like Andy talking about Daredevil being a swashbuckler, and you could hear the boner in his voice <laughs> when he used that word. And I knew he was going to mention it with Nightcrawler. It had to happen. Swashbuckler is probably one of my favorite words in the English language. It's it's good, and I think I think it describes Nightcrawler so much more than Daredevil. I think, like, you know, I literally just read. Uh, a, a Nightcrawler four issue series because somebody talked about it on my Twitter where he he has two sabers and he fights pirates in a, in a, in an alternate like alternate universe. Hell like, yeah, he, he is that's literally a even, swashbuckler. That's not even the first time he's done that. <laughs> no, that he's was in fact that, in, that was in fact the second time he'd done it because it was basically a sequel to that story. It was it was purposely the second time he'd done it. I remember him doing that with like Mojo Pirates in the Wolverine and the X-Men cartoon that was mm-hmm. on Nickelodeon for a year. Like that's just Nightcrawler. He just likes to sword fight with shit and pretend he's Errol Flynn. Exactly. Yes. He's a fucking fanboy and just like that resonates so much with me in this fantastical world of of powers and heroes like he's the guy who wants to go watch an Errol Flynn movie marathon on a Friday night and just watch his pirate movies and hang out with his buddies. You know, the the friendship between Nightcrawler and Wolverine was always just such a like 
pleasant, nice, respectful thing, especially with Wolverine usually being such a feral character. You know, he he's the guy who wants to make sure everybody is okay and smiling and happy, and that resonates with me. You know, you, you look at um, the classic Excalibur run, where Nightcrawler is constantly flirting with the team leader's girlfriend, Megan. And it's this playful thing of like, I know I'm never going to get you, but God, I, I'm sure as hell going to talk big about it because in the end we're best friends, but we're best friends who shamelessly flirt with each other. That, that rings pretty damn true to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he's oh, just, he's, boy. he's so delightful, you know, uh, I wanted to talk about like favorite runs and stuff. I think that's going to be a little bit too much to cram in because we still got to talk about some other stuff, but like one of my favorite stories of X-Men period is second coming, which is a fairly recent um, development. It's basically, you know, Bastion and the Sentinels come back and try to kill everybody and hope has to grow into her own and become a real hero. And that was the most recent time Nightcrawler had died in the comics and he you know selflessly gave his life and let bastion basically put his arm through nightcrawler so that he could get hope out of there and it was heartbreaking and like you know it's comics death of the death is a revolving door there is this whole delightful um run of amazing x-men where it's literally the first run is okay we're breaking nightcrawler out of heaven because he's bored which boy that's a sentence <laughs> yeah the last time i saw them break anybody out of prison was freaking goku so right. <laughs> so in fairness in fairness that was also a storyline in buffy indeed yes so it's not just comics or anime that deal with this level of stupidity. <laughs> so, so yes, my, my favorite X-Men is Nightcrawler. Um, I still have much love for Gambit. I love Rachel Gray. I love X-23. But Nightcrawler is, like, my guy. Yeah, and I, I think you really you, you hit the nail on the head talking about the heart of the team. I just recently read... Um, the 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 intro to the new X Men team when Chris Claremont picked up and and like Nightcrawler is that from the start yeah like the the yeah. the second issue is the new X Men team and the old X Men team all together in the mansion and you know uh, uh, tensions are running really high and Nightcrawler is is there and he's and he's his his viewpoint is essentially man you know I I hope we all can learn to get along like we we can definitely all benefit from each other's strengths you know I I I hope we can come to see eye to eye. And that's that's pretty much always his take, and I and I think I think you you really you really hit it there. Well, thank you, man. <laughs> yeah. He directed me to this place where they value the character of my heart, not my appearance. Some of us can be nice. Alex can Alex can be nice. He has it in him. Chooses not to be <laughs> exactly, but he can be. Um, Look, when I'm nice, it's like a gift. <laughs> you really earn it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so I kind of wanted to talk about this just because, like, the X Men throughout their entirety have often been kind of a fill in the blank for various social issues, and between mm -hmm. the three of us, I am the least 
uh, allowed, I guess, to really stake an opinion on how that is handled and how that is done being a uh, cis straight white man. <laughs> but I wanted to get your guys' opinions on that. Because uh, it's often not done Matt, do well. You wanna, do you want to go first or shall I? <laughs> um, I mean, I'll, I'll, go, I'll go first just because I think I think my my take might be the one I, I think I think my take will be different than yours, Alex. If it isn't, I'll be surprised. Okay. okay. Um I I do think X-Men is is kind of the the title that's used as, you know, insert insert X here because the 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 sort of plight of of humans versus mutants, you know, the the threat of mutant kind, et cetera, et cetera, is used a lot in the comics. Um so so it, it gets a lot of uh, it gets a lot of cred and stuff for for saying, oh, well, you know, this is this is you know, uh, this is applicable to civil rights. This is applicable to LGBT rights. This is applicable to trans rights. Like like mutants are X Y Z group. Um, and I honest, I I honestly think, especially in the modern day, that that falls really flat. Um, I think that like yes, it in the in the early runs, it it probably was better because. You know the original the original X Men team was Scott Summers, Jean Grey, Hank McCoy. Um, oh, I'm never gonna remember Angel's name. Warren Worthington the third. Warren Worthington the third. I knew it was a W. I knew it was a W <laughs> because it's Marvel, and of course it's alliterative. You monster! I look. There's a lot of X Men in here, man. And let's not forget um, Bobby Drake, who was the heart of yeah, that team. And, and and Bobby Drake, not not a not an ethnic person among them. Um, and one girl. And so I think it was a lot easier to ascribe to that team saying, oh, this is a stand-in for this because there was no other options. Sure. You know, mm-hmm. uh, it wasn't until, I mean, let me let me look at this list right here of literally black characters in Marvel. Yeah, because this it is was, a it, problem. It wasn't until uh, Storm joined the team in 1975 that there was a black member on this team whatsoever. Um, Never I mean, mind I, I, that that was the same team that added uh, Sunfire and Thunderbird, who oh, quit man. and died respectively within a couple of issues. Yes, because I just read it. Thunderbird debuted and died within four four issues. It may be yep. three. I'm going to give them four, but maybe three. Yeah. So I think it. I think it was a lot more it was a lot more, I'm going to use the word Vogue to describe the X-Men as, as a stand in for civil rights and as a, as a foil for it before there were a lot more, uh, other, other titles to, to carry that and to help buoy that in, in, in so many words. Um, mm-hmm. I think X-Men still, it still holds a place in it. Certainly. Um, they've, they, they recently had Bobby Drake, uh, come out as gay very recently. Um, I will say, as a side note, that was handled terribly by Marvel. Uh, look into the history if you want. It, they they really really mishandled that from a company standpoint. Um, but that you know, I think Marvel has had a lot of instances of you know positive LGBT representation, and I think they've had just as many negative. So the same can be said for for civil civil rights and characters of ethnic diversity, and it's it's kind of disappointing for the comics industry as a whole to point back to X-Men as though, well, look, we, we got that one right. And it, it, no, you didn't. And you haven't for a long time. 
Well said. Um, because for for a long time, it hasn't been about the mutant threat versus like against ma- a humankind, right? You you watch the first X Men movie, and the story is literally the government are going to force people to self-identify as mutants and register to that regard. And I think that byline hits a lot harder than than just the concept of people disliking mutants. Yeah. Um, and that was ba- that was actually based on the Joss Whedon run. Right. That particular aspect of the story. And and, it, and it's especially harder when you uh, in in the second movie or maybe it's the third movie because it's Storm with Short. The third is the, the third one movie. where you can go get the cure. Right. Yeah. It, yeah. That's right. It's the third movie. It's the third movie that has uh, again a scene you might have seen on Tumblr where uh, Rogue learns that there's a cure and she's incredibly excited and she's like, "There's a cure. They can fix us." And Storm says, "There's nothing to be fixed." And it's like that's very easy for you to say. You don't kill people when you touch them. Mm-hmm. Um. And and you look at you look at characters in X Men that are much more mutant to to use a phrase than others scott summers for all of his problems can still walk down the street and you know colossus can do the same kurt can't do that and at a certain Mm -hmm. point in the run neither can hank um and and i and i you know i don't i don't want to belabor the point too much but i i definitely think there is a a a much more nuanced take to you know x-men's representation as a whole it's it certainly it certainly has touched on that and it probably will in the future i think it does a much better job when it is short focused stories um i most recently read or or, most recently but a a little bit ago i read magneto testament which is about Mm. magneto's time in the concentration camps in world war ii i I guess i shouldn't call him magneto because he's not magneto at that point he literally never has mutant powers during that comic book he is not magneto um, and I think it's 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 a it's an interesting character study because that was the first comic that they that they ascribed him specifically to being a Jew, to going to Auschwitz, to being in World War II, and living through all of that. That was the first time they described that uh, that to that character in in no uncertain terms. And I think yeah. I think X Men does it does it well when they want to like a lot of comics. Mm. I'm rambling. I'm going to No, well, I'm glad we got that cuz that I think that really hits it on the head. They do it well when they want to. But mm-hmm. Alex, you're yeah. you're up. Yeah, um I'm going to build off of a lot of what Matt said, but I do want to start with this point. There is a myth circulating the creation of X-Men. Uh, suggesting that Stan Lee and Jack Kirby, when originating the team, had the idea that Magneto functioned as a Malcolm X character to Professor Xavier's Martin Luther King, with an idea of here's by any means necessary and here's um, nonviolence. And that, number one, that was never the case. That was um, That was honestly some people ascribing some things to them. Um, granted, Stan Lee, who did a million interviews, um, might have made a casual statement here and there that was a little careless, but that was never a definitive point. And if it was, it would have been hugely irresponsible because the fact of the matter is X-Men... Matt, you touched on the point that these characters, uh, when they originated in the 60s, didn't actually have a character of color. So using them as a stand-in for civil rights, 
there's a lot of excuses that can be made. Oh, it was the 60s. If you had a black character, no one would have read it. Did you see what happened when they did Jon Stewart's Green Lantern or Sam Wilson's Falcon or when they introduced Black Panther? There's so many... It, it, it causes such a stir when people do this and it's... No one would have read the comic if it had done that. I'm willing to make those admissions, but it doesn't change the fact that it will always be problematic to pretend that a story can represent a population without any actual characters who are of that population. And that has been a recurring problem throughout X-Men. Storm being the only black character, women being such so minor. And Claremont did what he could to address that, but honestly, he could have done better. He has a lot of problematic stuff in his run. He has white characters who get transmogrified into Native American characters. That is fucked up. But he got away with it because it was the 70s. And honestly, no one was thinking about it that hard. You know? They... The movies... You know, there's there's always that great scene in uh, X2 where you got... Um, Bobby Drake's family, his parents are there while all the X-Men are there and they have a line where he comes out to them as a mutant and they're like, have you ever tried, you know, not being a mutant? Which is obviously Brian Singer, a gay man, festooning a gay narrative onto the X-Men. Um, obviously Brian Singer, terrible person. We didn't know that at the time, at least I didn't. But um, but that's, that's a common narrative, you know? There's... there's using the legacy virus as an AIDS allegory. There's Genosha being an apartheid state. These things aren't without some validity, but it doesn't change the fact that when you don't have gay characters, your AIDS allegory has a lot of problems. When you don't have that many black characters, your apartheid allegory at the time that South Africa was still heavily segregated has some problems. Um, I should mention I'm borrowing a lot of this rhetoric from uh, Jay Edidin of Jay and Miles Explain the X-Men. He discusses this kind of thing at length. This has consistently been one of the major problems of X-Men, and it's not okay. There was recently a story in the comics where you essentially had a gay panic allegory where a mutant was murdered. But it wasn't a queer mutant. It wasn't a trans mutant. It wasn't a member of the population that actually deals with this fucking thing. It wasn't even a person of color. And that is so categorically offensive. That is the taking of a narrative that already exists that's, that a lot of us need to deal with when we're walking down the street. X-Men can talk about passing privilege. That's a great thing that mute, the mutant metaphor can, can do. You're right. Kirk and Hank and Scott, to a certain extent, you know, they have trouble passing. If Scott isn't wearing these fucking glasses, we got a problem, right? Yeah. Passing privilege is a great thing to use mutants for. The Morlocks, I think, are a really interesting population that, quite frankly, did not get used that well. But there's so much, and some of this I think does come down to it being so long that this comic has been running. When Magneto was introduced, he wasn't Jewish. Kirby and Lee did not introduce him as Jewish. Claremont added that. Yeah. 
But then what the fuck happens when you get to the 90s and Magneto commits genocide? What does it say when your Holocaust survivor is a genocider? How hard are they thinking about this? Fatal Attractions, the first comic story I ever read. Magneto shuts off the power. He shuts off all the electricity all over the world. And they flat out say, how many medical machines did he destroy? How many security systems? How many life support systems? Magneto commits genocide. And what is it, 10 years later? He, 10 or 15 years later, he's with the rest of the group, teaming up with the X-Men. Hell, now that he's, in later, in recent issues, he's teaming up with Cyclops. The man committed genocide, and it, him be, but, but we don't talk about that. We talk about him being a Holocaust survivor because it's the easy narrative. X-Men lets us down in a lot of this stuff because we don't have a critical eye towards it. And because we get writers who aren't critical enough to think about this. And that's gotten better in recent years to an extent. But again, we still have a gay panic story with no gay with, with a gay character not as the victim. And that can't slide without commentary. No, and you know, this is this is a love. We're talking about a love, but you know, you and I, Alex, have talked about on the show, like something that responsible consumers of media and fandom should do regularly is, you know, judge the things they love. You know, it's important to judge the X-Men franchise for failing to do these certain things and, you know, a litany of other issues that we didn't get to touch on. And we can do that and still say that we love the property, but... Love without a love without a critical eye is not yeah. love. It's obsession and sycophantism sure. and gross and wrong and patriotism and it's evil. Yeah, X Men at its worst is is fanaticism and and jingoistic and and wrong and it it, it and Andy Andy wanted to bring us back to a love and I think I think it's it's in, like he was saying positive criticism of a thing that you love is important it's 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 important to look at the media that you consume with with a critical eye to a lot of respects and say you know where do i think the writers have failed where do i think that this media has failed in some regards and it's the the important thing is that you don't you don't hate everything right like oh they've 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 made this misstep so i hate this forever no because because comics as i said x-men is comics yeah and comics comics as a medium is atrocious for any number of reasons the the business model the distribution model the the contract work the i mean you, we could get into the nitty-gritty i'm sure but <laughs> yeah let me tell you how do you really um, feel <laughs> you you be you become a comics fan you get into some stuff um but x-men has had such a long history that it's it's one of the few comic book series and groups of characters that you can look back at to the creation of the medium as it exists today and and it exists i mean it's thursday new comics came out yesterday yesterday a new com a new x-men comic came out and it's been that way since 1963 and i think it's 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 important to look back and say hey Y'all messed up in some respects. 
it's important to point those out. It's important. To, I, I think I think the character of Magneto is one of the most important ones because he has, I, I, I think, the most tumultuous history of most characters that is completely and consistently swept under the rug for any number of reasons in yeah. any number of comics. You should have killed me when you had the chance! And in... You know, you can you can sit here and you can enjoy a story and you can say, man, I really enjoyed reading that story. I really enjoyed this part. I really enjoyed this part. This part was great. And man, it was really gross when they had that that uh, gay character that was like very effeminate. It was very gross. And you can you there and there's a lot that you can say that that was the times that was not, you know, it was, it was the 90s. People weren't, you know, people weren't thinking that way back then. That was what was accepted in the popular culture. And that's perfectly fine to say. But you need you need to be aware of it. You need to point it out critically and say, I dislike that. That's distasteful. And you can move on with your life. You don't have to dwell on it, right? Yeah. That's the yeah. that's the important thing. You don't need to dwell on it. You can say I dis- I dislike that and you move on. Yeah. We did an entire episode on or an entire hate segment a while back on toxic comic fandom. And... Oh wow, why didn't you call me for that one? <laughs> I, I think no no why. I think it was after that that we like got this idea germinating in our minds of we need to talk comics with Matt. Yeah, that was like our fifth or sixth episode. Um so please forgive us, but yeah, we did an entire segment on that and I mean everything we touched on I, I think we talked a lot about X-Men in that segment. Uh, I'm realizing now I should have re-listened to it before this one, yeah. but I mean how many X-Men fandom is so devoted. It is one of the most devoted pa- you will meet fans. You will meet X-Men comic readers who don't read other books. No, you don't X-Men need to. Is the, yeah, cuz X-Men is the only comic and X-Men related properties are the only comics that they will read. And granted, they have enough homework with just that. But it is also such a rabid fan base. And some of them are defenders of everything, even when they shouldn't be. Some of them are haters of everything, even yeah. when they shouldn't be. It's not good to and be that, either. Yeah, no. Like, it's just, you can have a critical eye and fucking love this stuff look at look at the three of us like we're able to call this stuff out um even andy's willing to be a good straight cis white ally and just be like hey let me I'm give back it to, the hell me... off yeah. <laughs> yeah as like the individual no offense that this shit is marketed towards andrew yeah, no, fair. um but i mean there is also something to be said about the fact that there's a reason why a lot of comic readers of color gravitate towards the X-Men. A lot of queer readers gravitate towards the X-Men. Some of it is the frustrating subtext stuff where you're like, okay, I don't have any gay characters, but the closest I got is Kitty Pride and Rachel Summers. So hell yeah, I will read that subtext. Uh, or I don't have enough characters who look like me. So yo, Hank McCoy. You're my shit, and frankly, we haven't talked enough about how great Beast is in this in this entire episode. <laughs> I know and Andy's I trying Beast, to keep the time, so. but yeah, eh, whatever time. <laughs> but meaningless constructs. All right, hey, let's get so, to Hank. So, All right, so come so on. Here we us, go. To lead us gently into that good night. <laughs> 
Uh, uh, but uh, seriously, Mrs. McCoy's bouncing baby boy. Come on, let's go. Here we go. Yeah, you know. Yeah. No. Uh, oh, my stars and garters. Um, I just to lead us into our, our final topic. You know, we talked about how X Men as a property has had highs and lows. It's gone from being literally the thing that kept the doors open at Marvel to you know honestly being kind of crappy and forgotten to you know then we get morrison and whedon and it's one of the best series of comics ever written to uh, it gets kind of crappy again um and back i liked decimation thank you <laughs> Dude, no, no you didn't don't lie well, so i will tell you my favorite era in all of x-men comics is post house of m to about uh, Death of Wolverine, that 10-year period where they go to Utopia and you have Messiah Complex and Messiah War, and I say that unironically. Yeah, hey, hey, y'all. X-Men has storylines called Messiah Complex <laughs> and Messiah War, and that's that that just exists. That's just a thing. Andy just said that as though that was a thing anyone has ever said in the history of man. If you need to know how stupid X-Men and comics as a whole is, a man just said out loud, Messiah War, and just kept talking. The sentence continued. He just kept talking. Also, for reference, that Beast and Dazzler mini that I talked about is called Beauty and the Beast. Because of course it is. The pun game is strong. Indeed. We We could do an entire episode on titles of comic runs we might have to now and nothing else we, we might have to come back to <laughs> not not even specifically the content in them just the titles of the runs oh my god not to throw any shade at, at alex but you just made me laugh as hard as he's ever made me laugh while we're recording <laughs> on your first episode on the show champion uh... goat goat nerd yeah podcast um, Thank you. Um, so so about a year ago jonathan hickman uh put out a press release that he would be writing x-men for those of you who know the property but are not super big comic nerds jonathan hickman is maybe one of the most high profile comic book writers working today i think it's fair to say like like he's the guy that marvel went to and said hey you can restart the entire universe basically and we will spend a year writing tie-ins to your secret wars event because that's how much like we're putting the ball in your court mr hickman sir um here here here's i think the most the the best way to describe how big a deal hickman writing the the x-men is for a number of years jonathan hickman wrote the fantastic four and it was it was by by most fans accounts the best fantastic four the like the comics have ever been fantastically deep rich stories constantly pulling from other runs you know a, a really critical eye towards the history of these characters and when the avengers movie made it big they marvel said we want you to write avengers yep and yeah, he wrote I'm... he wrote not only avengers he wrote new avengers he wrote two simultaneous storylines that crisscross and interwove that basically redefined what every single one of those characters in those books was in the comics universe at that time and then destroyed it and rebuilt it yeah i am not, i am not i am not even going to bullshit 
Matt, before you said that, I was going to say the biggest praise that I can give Jonathan Hickman is he wrote the only run of Fantastic Four I have ever liked. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because I famously hate the Fantastic Four <laughs> as a comics property. Even in the hands of good writers, they are a shit book and have been historically. And Jonathan Hickman made them interesting. Yeah. So uh, back in either June or July, uh, back in July, we got the first issue of House of X and Hickman uh, released two limited series, House of X and Powers of X, affectionately referred to as Hox Pox uh, by me. Um, I love it. <laughs> and okay. Someone else has probably said it. I mean, it's what they write on Twitter, so. Returns haven't really come through yet. We've basically only, only got through those two limited series, but, and 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 it's very important to clarify, none of us have read them yet, uh, the three of us. Um, yeah, I, prob- I, I probably, I probably could have, but like, Here's 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 the best way to describe Jonathan Hickman writing this book because I just looked this up. Jonathan Hickman is like a, a, an, an omega level nerd, right? Yeah. He is he is he is a nerd that like other comic book writers want to be like because so here's here's just a page from the first issue of House of X. It's literally a description of what an omega level mutant is, which is the strongest level of mutant that there can possibly be because of course there's classifications power. Yeah, yeah because this is dragon ball z um yeah. and then a list of every single one and their powers hey alex uh storm is on here by the way yeah um hell yes and and like just just in out of hand just hey by the way in case you didn't know here are the strongest mutants around and they're all in his story um in in the in the avengers run he would consistently go out of his way to put charts and maps and graphs for details that the majority of people would probably not even think about in 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 uh an article i sent to both of you guys which we might touch on but i'll, I'll pull this detail from it um the the compound that i mentioned that that scott lives in with everybody he put a map of it in the back of yeah, the comic just the here's a map of, yeah. which is yeah. which is again a thing no one would think to put except for Hickman. Um, and it, and, it, and it's, it's a real big feather in the cap of returning X-Men to uh, one of the star books, uh, the, the star properties of Marvel, because for so many years, Marvel has ignored them because they were owned by Fox. Like, mm-hmm. and they've, they've never said so officially, they've never gone on record, but you can see from, from the time the Avengers, the movie property takes off until just about now, Marvel has consistently and categorically downplayed X-Men books, X-Men properties, X-Men licensing. Um, and that's been a, a shame. As Andy said, like they were the thing that for the longest time were were Marvel's line. Right. That it was X-Men. Right. And so th- that's what I'd, I'd like to close this on. This is a love. So I want to end on a, a moment of hope, you know, for, for all we can see, it truly seems like this comic book property that is so dear to all of our hearts is in the best possible hands. It could be for the future. Um, you know, we haven't read it yet, but the people that have read it have said that Hawks Pox, 
um, I'm going to make that stick, uh, is like totally revolutionary and redefines like what the X-Men as a concept are. It, it redefines how the characters work. It, it does so many wonderful things. There's a whole line of X-Men comics that are coming out that all look amazingly fantastic. You know, my probably my favorite is uh, we're getting a new Excalibur that has Apocalypse say, on the friggin' team. <laughs> there's a new Captain Britain. Uh, Kitty Pride is running around as a pirate. Like, talk about swashbucklers. Um, so... Just, just yeah, like anybody who likes X-Men and maybe you've gotten out of comics for a while, um, right now is literally probably the best moment in the past 25 years to find a comic shop or a Barnes & Noble and dive back into the series. I've had people I haven't talked to since college hitting me up on Twitter and Instagram because I say something about House of X and be like, dude, have you read this? It's a, it's phenomenal. It's amazing. Um, and you're like, yeah, Hawksbox? I totally read yeah, Hawksbox. Yeah, I love Hawksbox. <laughs> I'm sorry. Hawkspox sounds like one of the rejected image image comics properties from it the does. It, it does indeed. Um, but yeah, just it 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 makes me happy to know that my favorite comics are only going to get better, presumably from here on out. And it's very likely that they'll be showing up in the MCU within the next yep few years, three years, four years. I mean, Something which like which that? sounds weird as a person to say out loud, but that's that's the time scale these things move in. Um, I, well, so, I mean, I'm I, not mad about it. <laughs> um, so uh, I would like to thank you, Matt, uh, dear sweet man that you are, dear sweet boy, um, for coming on and <laughs> nerding out with us. And I want to give you a chance to plug your stuff because you are a wonderfully entertaining person. We both have... You have more fans than we do. You literally do. Uh, (laughs) Okay. I don't, maybe, I don't know. That's awkward. It's got awkward. Um, Where can people follow you? Let's make it unawkward. Where can people see your stuff? Um, I mean, before, before I plug myself, I want to plug two things really quick. We've mentioned, uh, Alex has mentioned J miles explained the X-Men a bunch. Definitely go check them out. If you want more detailed analysis of, more X-Men than like should really be legal. Like I really think someone needs to step in for their health and safety and say like, are, are you sure this is a thing you want to, are they being kept in a basement? I'm very confused as to why someone would do this to themselves. But if, if, if that's what you want, like that's what they will provide. Um, and the other big thing I want to plug, because I literally today saw on Reddit, um, on the Marvel Unlimited subreddit, which Marvel Unlimited, if you're looking to get into X-Men comics, uh, if you've been lapsed for a while, is probably your your best bet. Um, you know, hey, I've watched all the MCU movies. I want to start reading comics. How do I do it? Um, so the the big thing I want to plug is a website called ComicBookHerald.com. Uh, ComicBookHerald is in a person who holds a flag. Uh, I'm not affiliated with this website anyway. It's just somebody who started a website that talks a lot about comic book news. And hey, if you want to read Blade, if you really like Blade here's the stories you should read with links to Marvel Unlimited and Amazon and all of this um, for DC and Marvel. And I think if you're if you're somebody who's listening to this and you're like, man, it would be really fun to read Gambit. Let me just type Gambit here into the search bar on the website. Uh, I'm doing this in real time. Uh, Gambit, uh, there there's a part five to their reading order for Gambit for mid-2000s to present day. So there you go. You've got a little bit of reading to do. Um, 
and it's 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 a very useful resource for even myself uh, to to help me. I've been reusing uh, their Chris Claremont reading guide uh, to to help set me up for this website or for this podcast. So just just shout outs to them. Uh, like I said, I'm I'm not related with them. I'm not affiliated with them. I think it's just a super useful website. Uh, me, I don't know why you'd want anything to do with me, but here we go. Uh, you catch me out on on Twitter and Twitch at Matt Calder. Uh, I'm sure there'll be links in the description. You can figure out how to spell my name spelled like it is there. Uh, I stream Pokemon most days of the week, uh, except for Casual Fridays, which I'm about to have tomorrow, where I stream just kind of whatever game is taking my fancy right now. Um, I stream most days, Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, with a very occasional Saturday or Sunday stream. Um, you can hit me up on Instagram at matt.calder, I believe. Um, and there's other things, but I mean, I don't know. I've taken up enough time talking about myself. Oh, please, no, stop, please. please stop you, this. We, we want... <laughs> We want people to follow you. By the way, this episode will drop on a Tuesday. So uh, I guess if you're listening to this on the day that it comes out, check out Matt's channel tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. If you're, listening to this, if you're listening to this on Tuesday, you missed me yesterday. You can catch me tomorrow. There you go. And shame on you for missing him. <laughs> Absolutely. No, I mean, we've both watched your streams and it is a delightful time. You know, we, we've rarely talked about Pokemon aside from one, uh, one opening we did. So that's going to be an episode on the horizon, I'm sure. Uh, but in any case, uh, this has been love-hate relationship. This week it was pretty much exclusively love with a little bit of fair hate. Um, but if you have a relationship question, uh, most episodes, Alex and I like to take your relationship questions and break them down with our perfectly unqualified but well-meaning advice. And you can send those questions into lovehaterelationshippodcast at gmail.com where we promise we'll read them. That's right. And you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, or even TuneIn Radio. Hey, Mom, so glad you stuck it out this far. Um, we would I'm also... <laughs> oh, my friends love you. Um, we would also love it if you reviewed us on any or all of those. Uh, you can tweet us directly at LHRPod. That's L-H-R-P-O-D with your questions, your favorite X-Men, your fan art, whatever. Uh, and follow us there to keep up with new episodes. That's right. Uh, if you want to follow me, Andy Boel, I am at Jobocop2113. And if you're a fan of cult movies, I have another podcast called Cult Fiction, which you can find on Twitter, uh, where I have the, where myself and the incomparable Stephanie Johnson watch cult movies, both good and oh so bad, and then, you know, talk about them and make jokes and have a grand old time. Yeah. And I'm at a underscore X underscore R-U-I-Z on both Twitter and Instagram. I don't have a podcast other than this yeah. one, but uh, I, sometimes I post videos of me lifting heavy shit or holding up things uh, with the word butt on them and giggling. So, you know, <laughs> check me out. It's two most, uh, most favorite pastimes. I'm just saying. So thanks for listening, y'all. Matt, thank you so much for coming on. We need to have you on again next time we have a topic that's worthwhile or just whenever you feel like it. Um, and all of you, thank you for listening. And as always, tell your enemies. Bye.